Being a single parent always poses unique challenges. And when you add on the fact that this parent is caring for her nine-year-old son who has T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia, makes life even more challenging. That is a subject for today, as I will speak with Colleen Tanaka, who will talk about her son, Tenzin, who was diagnosed with this form of pediatric leukemia in June of 2022. Colleen will discuss having just moved to a new school district before Tenzin's diagnosis and her advocacy work, which started at a school board meeting on February 6th of 2023 to educate the school and community residents about what was happening with Tenzin. This advocacy work has now led to her starting her own blog and support group under the heading of leukemiamom.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Receiving a diagnosis of T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia is bad enough for any parent to hear, but when it comes after going to a child's pediatrician, an ear, nose, and throat specialist, an allergist, and a hospital emergency room with no blood work being ordered at any of these places, the diagnosis must be even more difficult to understand We will learn about that as well as many other facets of what nine-year-old Tenzin Tanaka has been through, as I am now happy to introduce Colleen Tanaka, Tenzin's Tenzin's mom, to my audience and welcome her to my podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Now, as we start off our podcast, we'll go back to the earlier part of 2022 when uh, Tenzin, who was then eight years old, had been a very healthy and happy-go-lucky young boy who was very much into karate, running, being outdoors, eating s'mores, and he had (laughs) just received and was making very good use out of the trampoline that was given to him for his birthday. What happened from there as to when he developed symptoms that were concerning enough to bring him to his pediatrician, and what were those symptoms? Mm -hmm. So right around his birthday, Tenzin started to complain of lower back pain. Um, So I had given it a little bit, thought it was possibly like growing pains, um, brought him to the pediatrician because he continued to complain. And she felt like it was a muscle, uh, like injury, like he probably pulled something, being that he was doing karate and he's an active eight-year-old. So took that fine. He then, um, I noticed he had like a swollen lymph node that you could see on his neck. Um, And he had been like very like nasally congested. Um, So I took him to the pediatrician and they felt like he had been fighting off a virus. They didn't feel like it warranted any sort of blood work. Um, He was always healthy. So they were, uh, they had just recommended you know, just kind of keep an eye on it, but to go to ear, the ear, nose and throat doctor to see if he potentially had allergies. Um, cause it was the spring. 
So I took him to the allergist. My older son has severe allergies. He has peanut allergy. He has severe seasonal allergies. He's been on medication his whole life. So I took them both. They did the whole up and down the arm testing and Tenzin had no reactions. So everybody's like, this is great. It still was confusing to me because he still is very congested. And they felt like, all right, maybe it's just change of season, normal pollen reaction. Then he developed um, frequent nosebleeds um, that were happening like almost daily um, and kind of like this persistent cough. Took him back to the pediatrician. She found an ear infection. Okay, this like explains it all. We went on um, antibiotics. Unfortunately, the ear infection subsided but he still was having this cough. So she wanted me to do a nebulizer treatments. As I was doing the nebulizer treatments, he was not getting better and his lips were crusted and bleeding. Very concerning. So I took him uh, to the ER. The ER did, a, you know, COVID, flu, all those lovely things, sent us home because there was nothing that they could see. They called me a few hours later. He had para-influenza 3. Okay, great. Now we have an answer. <laughs> so fine. Um, again, now it's a week to almost two weeks later. And this is the end of May. And he is sleeping nonstop. Like, I cannot get this kid up. He kept standing up and telling me, I, I feel dizzy. Um, you know, I, I can't stand up without wanting to go to sleep or to sit down concerning took him to urgent care again covid test flu test everything's fine just continue as is finally that next morning i was driving my older one to school and tenzin was just drinking a bottle of water and just vomited and continued to vomit now this kid had not eaten for probably days at this point and he just kept vomiting so um I figured, you know, between the cracked lips, the bloody noses, the vomiting, something's really not right here. I took him back to the ER, different, different ER doctor, and it was very clear that she had concerns from the start. It was get an IV in, we need blood work, and lots of blood work, which to me was scary, but also at least I felt like somebody was doing something. Um, it really wasn't until I could tell that they had done blood work and then had come back to do more that it, it just, it didn't sit right with me. She wanted to do a chest x-ray. She was concerned about potential pneumonia. Realistically, I think she knew that there was potentially a cancer diagnosis and wanted to make sure there wasn't a tumor. Um, we noticed some petechia, lots of bruising. Again, eight-year-old boy. I am not concerned about that until she points it out. Bring him to the x-ray room. I'm waiting outside and she comes and sits down next to me and tells me, I, I'm sorry to tell you this, but he has leukemia. A and to be honest with you, all I heard was like leukemia and then like nothing else. Literally, it just, I, I, my brain just, it, it like, it's literally what people say when it's like you hear wah, 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 wah and like nothing else. Um, and they wheeled him 
past me at that moment. And it just was the most surreal, probably feeling I've ever had in my entire life. I'd like to ask you during this uh, rather extended journey uh, and, and trying to find out what was wrong with Tenzin. Um, his pediatrician, I believe, uh, said to you that, or and maybe he said to Tenzin himself, that he was being dramatic and should go back yeah. to school. Now, how did that make you feel? And what was that? Re- what was your reaction to that? So I'll be honest with you. Tenzin was in kindergarten when COVID hit, was homeschooled after the year after, went back to school second grade with intense anxiety, okay? So I think the pediatrician was feeling that he was in his head. Like he was almost over-exaggerating the symptoms because he did not want to go to school. Now, I was having trouble keeping him in school. There were days he wanted me to pick him up early. He had a lot of anxiety in the classroom. So... Although I could understand a little bit of where her mind was going, at the time that she said this to me, he had an ear infection, his lips were bleeding, and we had been there two separate times, or three times actually. I know my kid enough to know if he's over-exaggerating or not, and I knew he wasn't. Um, so to be honest with you, I kind of dismissed her and was pretty ticked off. Understandably so. Now, Tenzin uh, was eight years old at the time, but his awareness about health seemed much older than that. And he asked you while you were on the way to the hospital, the question, what if I have cancer? What was your response to Tenzin? And before he asked that question, Was the word cancer ever uh, on your mind? So, no, the word cancer was never on my mind. To be honest, I thought that that was an anxiety thought. Um, He's been diagnosed with like catastrophic anxiety. And I tend to have that myself where we go to like that worst case scenario and that's what's going to happen to us. So I attributed it to that. And, I, and I'm and i not going to lie. There's definitely been times where Tenzin has said, like, what if somebody comes and kidnaps me from my bedroom? So it didn't seem that outrageous to me until, obviously, he was diagnosed with cancer, which was just insane. insane. My reaction to him was, Tenzin, don't worry about that. You don't have cancer. Which, in hindsight, I wish I never said it. <laughs> well, hindsight, of course, is always twenty twenty. So, uh, and and certainly, you were praying uh, that that certainly would not be the case. And and uh, most most parents dismiss the thought uh, as soon as it c- comes into their head, if it does come into their head at all. Now, you right. are a thi- single parent with your youngest son Tenzin, your older son Paxton. And you had either just moved in or were going to move into a new community around this period. Now, obviously, you were shocked at the Tenzin's diagnosis, which came uh, in June of 2022. Who were you able to turn to at the time and uh, immediately lean on for support? Oh, tricky. Um, my family, for sure. My mom. Um, my dad passed away eight years ago from cancer. So 
I don't have him, unfortunately, but my mom and my two sisters, um, my mom and my two sisters are very, very involved in the care of my children and just their everyday lives. You know, um, they live local, they come to events, you know, they're just very involved. So even just knowing that Tenzin was going back to the ER, my, my family knew all of these things were going on prior. So knowing that we were going back to the ER, they were like, please keep us updated. And as soon as I knew, you know, I called them and they came right up and, and wanted to do what they could. Um, outside of that, it was very difficult because we did move about three weeks prior to his diagnosis. Um, I had just ended a three-year relationship um, prior to that as well. So I didn't have that support system any longer. And although, um, you know, Tenzin's other parent was there as a part of like the diagnosis and being in the hospital, the support, it's just different. You can't lean on, you know, an ex the way you would somebody else. So mostly my family. Now, when Tenzin was diagnosed uh, with this T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia, after you were able to process it, which I'm sure took a little while, did his doctors uh, sit down with you, talk about um, ALL in general, letting you know that it was and is the most curable form of uh, pediatric cancer with uh, generally a, a survival rate of 85 to 90%. And did they also um, let you know what the T cell meant as far as what he was going to go through? So, yes, um, the the hardest part about the way the diagnosis came for Tenzin is he was so sick by the time he was diagnosed that it, it wasn't the general like, OK, he's diagnosed and, and let's kind of digest it and let's start, you know, treatment. It was he has to go to the PICU. He needs an emergency blood cleaning. Um, they were talking about kidney problems. I mean, so we weren't sure he was going to make it the night. They did explain to us, uh, it was his oncologist and um, I want to say one of her partners, the the difference between T-cell, B-cell, ALL, AML. Um, they also explained to us the testing that would happen to determine is it in the spinal fluid? Is it not in the spinal fluid? Um, to be honest with you, I didn't digest it at that moment. Um, it really took me time to do a little bit of my own research and kind of learn and, and really connecting with other families on Facebook and learning about just in general what ALO is like and knowing that it is the most curable, um, which was reassuring. But unfortunately, because he was so sick, it was kind of like that was secondary to kind of dealing with the now. Well, I'm guessing that uh, you might have been reassured uh, if uh, Tenzin wasn't going through a night that you didn't know uh, if he was going to survive or not. Um, So obviously that was the most important thing. Now, he was treated at Stony Brook University Hospital and he went underwent chemotherapy, among other treatments. But he had a couple of very significant difficulties during the uh, during this time, one of which was that uh, he uh, lost the ability to walk. And he also developed uh, pretty significant anxiety issues, uh, which you had mentioned before that he had uh, around COVID. Can you talk about those? 
Sure. So, um, the inability to walk started pretty soon into the 19 day hospitalization after diagnosis. Um, the having to, let me backtrack, having to be in the PICU, I feel created that issue. They had to put um, a line into his groin and that's where they did the blood phoresis, but also where they were taking blood from. Now, because of that, obviously he couldn't walk right away and it was painful. Um, and even though we tried to get him up, now you have a child who is in pain, is nervous, is scared, has started chemotherapy that is making him feel like garbage and the motivation to walk wasn't there. So within those 19 days, I feel like I woke up one morning and his legs were like toothpicks. It was the craziest thing to see the breakdown of the muscles so quickly. Um, so it was pretty soon that we realized, you know, we took him home in the wheelchair. I, to be honest with you, I, there was no adaptations to my house and nobody kind of went over how that was needed that I carried him on my back into the house and out of the house, which is looking back, obviously not the safest thing, but I had no other option. I feel like the anxiety almost like added to the inability to walk because now that, that fear, that, that, that kind of concern for like, if I have to try to walk, it's going to be hard. Is it scary? Is it, um, do I look funny? Um, Tetson's also extremely stubborn. So if you tell him to walk, he's not going to, <laughs> so there were a lot of dynamics to that. Um, but ultimately I was able to figure out that the muscle breakdown was the issue. The anxiety made it harder for him to push through that. Um, but with a lot of patients and with amazing therapists and with people really understanding Tenzin, we got there. It's just a matter of, you know, he needed up to the knee orthotics and just, you know, things that as a, as a typical eight year olds, you never think of. Um, and I feel that part of, part of it was the loss of control for him and feeling like now I can't walk. All these things have changed. Now I don't want to do it. How difficult was it for you when Tenzin was in the hospital? And again, you're a single parent of being separated from uh, part of your family uh, during this period. Oh, honestly, I think that's where I have the most PTSD right now. Um, it was probably the hardest thing I had to do. I'm extremely close with both of my boys, obviously as a unit of just the three of us, we function together and we're always together. My older son Paxton also is, and has always been extremely attached to me. I feel like he has ADHD. He has, he has anxiety. There's a lot of like comfort and support that he knows he has with me, um, that abruptly had to stop <laughs> because we were now in the hospital. Um, it broke my heart to be honest with you. And I didn't know how to explain it to him because what sense does that make to a, a 10 year old at the time that now his mom has to live in the hospital and he has to stay with grandma. He's in school. Like I, it just was, 
it was very difficult. The one thing I can say is that the boys and I have been in therapy for a long time um, to make sure our communication is is there. So Paxton was able to communicate when he was frustrated or sad or upset or would ask questions. So I'm very thankful that we had that communication because I think that's the only way we got through it. We did a lot of FaceTiming, a lot of phone calls, a lot of texting, checking in. But I I think outside of a, a diagnosis of cancer, I think the way it disrupts your family is probably the most traumatic. I'd like to continue with Paxton. Uh, he's as he we know he's Tenzin's older brother. He's in middle school, I believe. Yes. How hard has it been for him to watch his younger brother go through what he's had to go through? And overall, how is Paxton doing with the situation? And he has he been able to pretty much resume uh, as normal a life as possible? So I have to be honest, Paxton. I, he amazes me sometimes. Um, I have to say that if it were me, I don't think I'd be bouncing back the way he has. Um, I have to say that the family support and consistency was really important. You know, my mom essentially moved into my house and took care of Paxton and all of my animals. And she followed what I do. So she knows how we do things in my house. And she was very consistent. Um, It was hard for Paxton because not everybody knew. Now he was also new to a school. So now he's making new friends. He has a new teacher who I was able to tell, but his friends don't know. And he struggled with being identified as the sibling of the child with cancer. And he he felt weird talking to his friends about it. So he had kind of only told one of his closest friends and the rest of the everyday world of school was kind of like his norm. Like it had nothing to do with cancer, it had to do with like Paxson going to school. He loves school. He flourished in the classroom. What I will say was harder, the hardest for him was, number one, the moments of inconsistency or the moments of, oh my gosh, Tenzin has a fever. We have to go to the hospital. What is going to happen now? Or the fear of me taking Tenzin to clinic during the school day and am I going to be at the school bus when he comes home? So that was really hard um, and something that I had to kind of push the doctors in general to understand that although Tenzin's treatment is very important, my other son is very important too. We need to work within the dynamics of how my family functions. Um, Paxton is, he went through a time of resentment, which I do feel like is normal. Um, he will have moments where he's like, why does everybody forget about me? Because things will come to the house for Tenzin or, and I have to remind him like, do you really want that care package? Because if you had that care package, it's because of what Tenzin's going through. So sometimes it's just a level of putting things into perspective for him. Um, he had a very hard time when Tenzin would be sick, when he'd be vomiting, when he couldn't eat, when he was losing weight, when he couldn't walk. Those were that's where I saw him breaking down and really struggling emotionally. But I think overall for him, kind of the ups and downs of feeling like I, I would tell him it's normal to feel mad. It's normal to feel jealous. Um, 
it's normal to be scared. And realistically, it's just, um, he's a good communicator. So I think that's how he's been able to get through this as well as he has. He also has a a lovely group of friends um, and other, their parents and just, we've built a community, but He's like an A student. I just got an email from his teacher that they want to recommend him for advanced classes next year. So I have to say, I think he's doing pretty well. Uh, It's certainly great to hear. And of course, what Paxton was going through was it's called the back burner uh, syndrome, where um, through no fault of yours or anybody else's, he feels that he is. And uh, it it happens that uh, his priorities um, have to come secondary uh, to his brothers uh, in this case, and, and the fact that uh, he really has gone through it and is doing so well is, is a terrific thing to hear. Now, Tenzin is nine years old, and even at this tender age, he's learned to, how to use his voice and advocate for himself as he goes through this journey. Can you comment on that? Yes, it's um, sometimes as a mom, a little like, read it in (laughs) because adults get so offended when children advocate for themselves. Um, So that's been a journey. I will say honestly for me, because I taught my boys to advocate for themselves and to communicate, but to see it um, and watch how adults have trouble with it is very hard to be like, Whoa, okay. Do I, do I rein my child in or do I make the adults understand that it's appropriate that he communicate his needs or, um, for example, with the way they access his needle, depending on the nurse, depending on the person, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. And Tenzin got to a point where he's like, this is how I like it. This is how I'll do it. And they started to realize it goes much better if you listen to the child. He knows his body. Um, there's been moments where people have told him, no, you don't feel that. That that can't be. And he's like, no, I do feel this. I'm not numb or I do have this pain. And um, I, I think it's challenged the adults to really learn that like children really do know how to communicate and they know their bodies and it's okay i think as an adult to listen and realize that we're not always right we don't know everything (laughs) um there it's in the beginning because tenzin was so sick sometimes when he or when he was learning it would come across very abrasive and wasn't always well received so through this I've taught, I've had to teach him like delivery is really important the way you say things. And he's really come a long way um, in learning to stop, pause, take a second or to communicate without getting aggressive. Um, But that also came with recognizing that adults do listen. So what I've noticed about him is when the nurses or the doctors have not listened, he will get aggressive, which in reality, I think is appropriate. When he's listened to, he will work with them. He will laugh with them. He needs to feel heard. Otherwise, I, I mean, this is so invasive, what he has to go through. At the very least, he should have some control over how they're uh, touching his body or doing certain things. Now, his diagnosis was roughly 17 months ago, um, if my mathematics is correct. 
<laughs> and my my question is, how is he doing now? And what are his doctors saying about the future and how do they expect things to go for him? So right now he's doing well. I am hesitant to to <laughs> say certain things because I always feel like I like um, kind of jinx us because uh, so Tenzin's in the maintenance uh, portion of his treatment. So uh, majority of his medication is at home. He goes to clinic for blood work and certain IV chemotherapies. Um, he had a recent neurological reaction to a chemotherapy that he's had through all of treatment. Not typical. So. I find his doctors, and I and I think this is kind of just what they do. Um, they present like this is what most children experience. This is how it works. Um, if this happens, this is the percentage of the reaction and 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 being um, cancer free. They hesitate, I think, sometimes to tell us like all the side effects or the things that can happen because I think they want you to have a positive outlook. But unfortunately, every time there's a potential small reaction, Tenzin does get it. So right now, he has no no cancer in his blood, which is great. But this is because of the chemo right now. So the tell the the really the big tell is going to be after this treatment is done in October of 2024. What does that look like when he starts to go just monthly for blood work? Um, they don't give you a lot of like, we think or we know, or he'll be okay. It's kind of like, this is the treatment plan. And like you said, there's an 85% cure and, 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 and this is how it works. But I feel like they're a little hesitant to kind of tell you he's going to be like, okay. Um, because relapse is always a, a concern or, you know, just these, these different things that come up. Tenzin himself is doing well. He's starting to run again. He learned how to ride a tricycle recently. He's doing PT. He goes for karate private lessons because he doesn't have the stamina to go to classes, but he enjoys it. He's back on the trampoline here and there, which is awesome, but he struggles after. So when he puts forth this energy, his legs hurt, he's fatigued. So it, it's hard because he looks so healthy. Um, he gained all his weight back. He had his hair, but then you're like, wow, he's sleeping till 10 o'clock or he's tired at six o'clock or he's not eating. It's almost like you forget. Um, but overall, he has a much more positive outlook and he is so much more interested in things again and trying to be a kid, which to me is really important. Uh, it absolutely is. Now, I'd like to return to the advocacy portion of our podcast. You you mentioned uh, how great an advocate Tenzin was. There's another great advocate uh, in uh, your family happens to be you. <laughs> and you started your advocacy work um, when um, Paxton was already in school, Tenzin was not, and you were a little bit concerned. You moved into the new district. You didn't know a lot of people, and you wanted to let people know 
that this was happening. So you decided in early February this year to attend a school board meeting to discuss tension situation. Um, and I'm wondering what you said. At the, it was a school board meeting. What you said at that meeting, which took place on February 6th, and what was the immediate response from the school board uh, after your speech? Huh. So <laughs> that was scary. It took me a while to um, gain the courage. But what really kind of prompted me to do it was the feeling of isolation. That although Tenzin was in the school district, nobody really knew him. There was no connection to the school. Um He's a, a child with cancer. He needs support. He needs to be connected to other children. He needs to know that he matters. And I was starting to feel very, very frustrated with the fact that there wasn't, it wasn't coming from them. Um, I wasn't, you know, everybody in administration knew, you know, obviously, but I, I didn't feel that there was the effort being made to make Tenzin feel like he was a part of the school or the community. And what I, what I learned was the school wasn't going to let the community know it was, it was going to be my job. And although I had expressed my concerns and spoken to them, you know, I realized this was the avenue to go. This was going to be the way to let people know. I felt like it was really important and I, and I made it very clear to them that he isn't the first child in the district that was diagnosed with the cancer. And unfortunately he won't be the last. And I don't want other parents to feel like I did. I was getting calls from the school asking why Tenzin wasn't in school. And I finally like lost my mind and was like, my child has cancer. Why are you calling me? And the woman felt horrible. But to me, that was a lack of compassion and taking that extra step to make sure that that did not happen to me. Um, so I brought that up <laughs> in the school board meeting. I also brought up the fact that I felt that while we were in the hospital and while there's other children in the hospital, there's such a lack of socialization that happens that the school could be doing something even if it's a simple, like, get a Girl Scout group to, to visit or, or send cards, something. there, We have to do something to make these kids and the parents feel like they matter. You know, and, and a big thing that I did <laughs> explain to them is that although we just moved to the district, I was very specific about the district because we had friends in the district and they had spoken so like positively about them. Um, and I had said, you know... I, the community here, from what I hear, is supposed to be amazing. I would like the community to have the opportunity to know about my son and to know about my family because I would want to know if this was happening to another child. Um, uh, it, the reaction was interesting. There were tears from a few people. There was genuine, I think, shock. <laughs> um, I kind of got basically thank you for sharing <laughs> and sat back down and then the meeting ended immediately. There were like people coming to speak to me from people who attended the board meeting. So community members, Colleen, I know this and I'm going to connect you with this and let's do this. And just, I was like, Oh my God, people care. <laughs> 
I, I wasn't thrilled with the reaction of the school board as a whole, but I think there's politics involved and, you know, it, I, whatever, I don't want to comment on that too much. What I feel came out of it was I'm on, I'm on the phone. What I feel that came out of it was that people were given the opportunity to know, like you said, this is happening. And this is bigger than just Tenzin. I'm, I lived in a hospital where there were kids from very local going through the same thing. I could walk past these parents in the community and not have ever known that their child had cancer. So people were so motivated to help and to just want to connect that to me, I, that's what I needed. I needed to feel like there was support out there outside of just my family and people who wanted to like rally behind my kid and make sure that like he knew he mattered and my other son. And I did make it clear at the meeting that I also have another child in the school who needs support and kind of like, how dare you not be making sure that's happening? Well, the community reaction was almost instantaneous. I believe that a couple of days later, there were some, there, there were tens and t-shirts for sale and six weeks after the meeting, there was a comedy night, which I yes. believe was a fundraiser uh, in Tenzin's behalf. Uh, uh, Tenzin's behalf. So, can you comment on those uh, that things really started <laughs> happening quickly? Yeah, to be honest, um, the next morning I woke up and I was like, "Whoa, my Facebook was going insane," and it was interesting because there were people I knew through activities locally that were like, "Colleen, I didn't even know." Like, uh, please. And so somebody set up a meal train instantly. Um, the T-shirts. Okay. What is Tenzin like? What is his favorite? This. Boom. Boom. Selling those, which I was like, this is so cool because Team Tenzin with the Flash logo. I mean, how do you beat that? <laughs> and it just so happened that the mom that put that together, we've known each other through church. Like, it just was crazy. Um, literally. I have to be honest, the outrage from the community of like, how dare the district know this was happening and not let us know was really like reassuring to me and made me feel validated that they were like, hold on, wait, I wanted to do something, but I had no idea. Um, so people were all over. I have this idea. I know this person. Um, the PTA came up with the idea of the comedy night and which I thought was really cool because such a different concept and the comedians volunteered their time. And, um, it, to be honest, it kind of gave me the opportunity to get out is the first time I had gotten out in however long it was nine months. I could think at that point, um, the, the aides from the school, like just the, the people who came out to enjoy themselves, but to also show like they cared about Tenzin. It was huge, but I have to be honest, I did not expect it to blow up the way it did. And I was like, at first it was very overwhelming. I was like, oh God, did I do something wrong? You know, because it was like, but I have to be honest with you. I'm glad I did it because there are two more kids diagnosed in our district. And I feel like it paved the way a little bit for this not to be like, let's just pretend it's not happening. Well, certainly, uh, it's worked out very well. I'd like to also mention the St. Baldrick's Foundation, which is amongst the leading pediatric cancer research foundations in the country. It might be the biggest. 
Uh, yeah. It's a very, very well-known foundation, and they specialize in people shaving their heads as fundraisers. Yeah. It's gone all over the uh, the country. It's been up here in Massachusetts and, and all over. And they did a fundraiser uh, in Tenzin's behalf, and they raised over $10,000. That must have been quite a uh, uh, nice experience. It was. And it to me, so I have felt from the beginning along this journey that like it was important to me that not only like do we survive financially but i i want money to go to research i want these foundations to be known i want people to know that there's ways to kind of give um so to do such a cool event at the middle school where like (laughs) the kids got to shave their heads they shaved one of the principal's heads it was fun and to know that the money went directly back to saint baldrick's was really important to me because St. Baldrick's was one of the first foundations that I worked with that helped me kind of just identify like, like ways to connect, um, emotional supports. They helped me with Christmas last year. Um, so it, it felt like that. And I've said this and it sounds so bizarre, but like if my child's name or picture is going to help other families and foundations raise the money to do what they need to do for research or helping other families. And I'm okay with that. Like I, I feel like that's what this is about. It might as well turn this into a positive experience. The St. Baldrick's is they're They're so great. Um, and it, it really was my older son Paxton buzzed his head and he was very attached to his hair. <laughs> so, Well, you know, when, when one person does it, it, it's one thing, but when everybody comes together, to do it, it's just like, well, yeah, I have to do this. You know, yes. uh, that that type of thing. It's it's like you want to fit in. Everyone wants to fit in. And uh, yeah. it, it's just a, a wonderful event. And it's been going on now, I think, for 50 or 60 years or something like that. Yes. at the beginning of, uh, of time. Now, you have a dream, which you are pursuing, to go to Disney World um, as a family to give kids the world village. Um, and you're pursuing it through a nonprofit called a Campaign One at a Time or OAAT. How is this fundraiser going for you? Uh, and are you hoping pretty soon to be able to reach that to uh, reach that dream? Yes. So they're really good over there about kind of like keeping closed lips. <laughs> so last I heard is we're close. Um, they are amazing to work with. I just on top of it, um, as as long as I sent them pictures, they were like, they wanted updates. They were posting things. Um, they made me feel, they just made me feel like they wanted this too. Like this mattered to them. Like this was something that they wanted to give us. Um, so I don't know the monetary amount at this point, but I do know from what I was told is we're close. I would love to go whenever, as soon as we can. Um, I think it's almost good that we have a little bit of time because as Tenzin's getting stronger, obviously Disney would be a much more enjoyable experience. Um, but just in speaking to them about what they cover at Give Kids the World and sending us to Disney, it's beyond uh, what you would ever be able to do for yourself, first of all. But just to be like, okay, we've gone through all of this. Like, we can go and enjoy ourselves. And it's not something that I have to worry about financially having to cover because there's no way we'd be able to do that. Um, 
but I will forever <laughs> support them and share about them. They are wonderful human beings. And uh, yeah, I just hope you get to go soon. I certainly do as well. Now, your advocacy work. Now, let's just turn back a, a little bit, back to June of 2022, when you heard the word leukemia. Uh, it stunned you. You had to do all sorts of research just to get caught up in what, what is happening. And now your advocacy work yourself uh, has really advanced to the point that you have established a blog and support group, which is identified as leukemiamom.com. You have been helping other groups such as Taylor's Hope, Corey's Promise, and Hockey for Hope. Can you tell us about some of the specifics? of your online support uh, email uh, and what it entails? So initially, I felt like I needed to journal or get it out. And I thought a blog would be the best place because I know that I was looking for that. I needed to know that there was some other mom or some other family out there feeling the way I felt um, and like the real feels. So when I sit down and blog, I'm talking specifically through my emotions and something that's gone on. And I'm not worried about who reads it and how they respond. And I think that's what is important for other families to see, because sometimes we see the like nicey nice and after treatment and we're so thankful, but what about the like raw emotions during the treatment, the way uh, you feel the day-to-day stuff that happens or other life things that have to happen also, um, So I initially was given the idea through a friend of a friend who was like, maybe you should start a website. It might be a great idea or a business. And I was like, okay, I like the idea of the blog because I like, I just have always been one of those people I like to share. I like to feel supported. I like to support others. So that's kind of where that started. As I have gotten assistance through foundations financially or through emotional support or care packages, I was like, I started to realize that a lot of other families didn't know of the broad spectrum of these foundations and how many there are. So I started to build like a resources page of like, hey, here's some foundations that will cover X, Y, and Z. And this is our experience. Um, At this point, I started to build like an uh, an Excel spreadsheet of over 250 <laughs> foundations and going. So I'm not sure how I'm going to, I guess, get that out there, but I really would love for there to be essentially like a full scale database. Like these are all of the places that are known right now. And these are all the things they do and offer. And although you can find some of them, you can't find it all. Um, or it's not, you have to keep doing your own research. You might just get names. And I feel like as what I was going through to have to sit and do that research was a lot of extra time and something that I just felt like, why am I doing all this research when there's social workers out there? There's people who are supposed to be guiding me. What I feel is important is that parents feel like there's somebody to guide them and that you don't have to always ask because it doesn't always feel good to be like, Hey, I need financial help or, Hey, I'm struggling emotionally. Like it would be nice to kind of just have a place to go or a person who checks in with you. Or I really would love to do some sort of like parent patient advocacy to kind of be as a support 
and build something from there. Because I feel like instead of having to ask, it really should be something that is just offered and gifted, I think at the very least to a family with what they're going through. So right now it's still such a work in progress, but I really just hope it's something that is helping other people. And I know it's like very, been very like healing for me. That was my next question. How therapeutic has it been for you to be able to do this advocacy work, definitely help others while you're helping yourself? So um, somebody had said to me, like right after Tenzin was diagnosed, because as soon as he was diagnosed, I was like, I need a binder and I need this and I need that. And they're like, you're the way you deal emotionally with things is to do. I'm a doer. I need to get the tasks off the list. I need to feel like I'm doing something. And I think that's hard for other people to understand. And specifically like the medical field, I think struggle to understand that because they're like, Colleen, you have enough going on. Like, don't take this on. And I'm like, no, this is, this is healing for me. This makes me feel like what I'm going through at least matters. What Tenzin's going through, if it helps somebody then that's what I want it to do. And I want it to matter while I'm going through it, not years after when you're not in that, those emotional places anymore. Um, it's, it's been, I think had I not done this, I'd be stuck. And I think I was stuck emotionally for a little while. And knowing that I, like I cooked a few meals for a local family and, I've directed people in certain ways and they've gotten help. Like to me, that matters. And I want people to be like, to come back and ask for more. Like, I feel like I do have a wealth of knowledge that is useful, but I want it to be useful. I don't want it to just be for nothing. Now you have a career as a care coordinator for children with special needs. You were forced to stop working uh, when um, uh, Tenzin's situation came up. My first question about this is, did your career help you in any way to deal with what Tenzin was going through? Obviously, special needs are different than cancer, but there's obviously a disability uh, aspect on both situations. Did, did you, were you able to call on some of the things that you learned in your career to help you uh, with Tenzin? Yes, and sometimes... You know how like you always say like things happen for a reason and like sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, that was such a struggle. But now looking back, you're like, this made sense. When I first started my career as a care coordinator, I had stopped being a special ed teacher. So I had given away, you know, a lot of resources, a 401k, you know, just security. And then I had taken on this job with no insurance and no job security. Um, It was a leap of faith. I look at it now and I say, like, I learned so much because, yes, the children were had PT issues or speech issues or some of these children were diagnosed with autism. A lot of what I did was build resources to outsource my families. So I would get a social worker on a case for a family that I know, like, oh, they need resources. Oh, they don't have insurance. Oh, this child has medical needs on top of just physical therapy. I had babies with, I actually had two children with cancer, one with a tumor on her spine and, and another one on with on his brain and he passed away. Um, I do feel like interacting with that mom 
through my job gave me a little bit of compassion and understanding prior to knowing what it was like to go through it. Uh, I approached her differently than I would my other families because of that emotional component. Um, I worked collaboratively with so many different therapists and, um, you know, programs. I worked with DSS um, workers and through Medicaid that I knew how to, number one, I knew that if he was going to be in the hospital, I needed to get Medicaid coverage ASAP. Um, and I need, I knew the timeline and I knew how to get the application. I knew that there's disability insurance for children who have, you know, different qualifying disabilities and that would help me financially. Um, so my job, not only like I had, I guess, knowledge of resources. I also had people to call on. I had a nutritionist that I had worked with on cases who I was like, Tenzin's not eating. What do I feed him? How do I get him to eat? That was huge. I had relationships with these people for years that now, now we're going, now we're taking this to a personal level, but I was comfortable enough to do that. But also just working in a field where like, I dealt with a lot of emotions that parents were going through, a new diagnosis of their child. Um, what that entails, having to like, you know, recognize that everybody goes through, if there's a grieving process when your child is diagnosed, whether it's with autism or cancer, you're grieving the life you thought they were going to have. And that's a process. So um, I feel like it gave me the opportunity to like use my professional resources and knowledge, but also to be like, patient and compassionate with myself to be like, hold on a second. <laughs> you understood what other parents are going through this. You need to realize that you're now going through it and you have to give yourself those same things. Um, so I'm thankful I did what I did for as long as I did, because I don't know if when I was teaching, I would have had those same tools. Is this a career that you would like to pick up once, um, Kenzin gets better, you know, uh, completely better. Uh, or are you at this point thinking that your advocacy work, which I will tell you right now, is going to increase without a doubt? Um, is that something that you might be more focused on uh, as time uh, goes on? Yes. So in these 17 months, it's been quite the process of kind of the head game you play with yourself, right? Do I go back to work? Am I able to go back to work? Am I capable of doing this job with what I'm going through now? Am I going to be as understanding with my families who are going through something, but it's vastly different than what I'm going through? Do I have the emotional capacity for it? Plus, I am so invested now in this whole like world pediatric cancer and what needs to be done and what can be done and the the holes in the system and the things that are lacking that I I truly feel like my calling would be to to do this I just don't know how officially <laughs> um but I'm also in a place where like you have to try right like you have to put yourself out there and so I, I go back and forth. I'm like, maybe I should go back to my job just, just because it's safe. But then I'm also like, am I, am I going to be happy? Is that going to fulfill me? And I don't want to not be fulfilled in my job, especially after, like, this is a life-changing experience for me where I'm like, well, okay, life is about a lot more than just paying the bills. So 
yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm a little unsure, but I definitely feel like my motivation would be to stick more with the advocacy work. Well, I think what's going to happen um, is the longer that you stick with the advocacy work, the more people you're going to meet, your life is going to change even more because you're going to be surrounding yourself really with people that relate to you and can only relate to you and you can only relate to them. And uh, so, you know, and of course, being emotionally attached to your job is something that everybody, uh, even though it's a, a situation which uh, involves, um, you know, pediatric cancer, uh, it's something that people do aspire to, to be um, satisfied and emotionally um, uh, feel good uh, and, and important. So uh, I, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that you do. <laughs> where can people get in touch with you? Um, it, it's such a uh, compelling story that, um, that that you've been through over the past you know, uh, 17 months, but even before that, when, when Tenzin wasn't feeling well. And also to learn a little bit more about some of the events that have happened that we haven't even talked about as far as fundraisers, your own fundraiser that you're interested in. And people uh, deserve to um, uh, and need to hear your story. So where would be a good place? Is it email or, or, or wherever? So I definitely feel like going to my blog and the website leukemiamom.com is a great place because I feel like you can learn a lot very quickly there. Um, and my email is probably best because I, like most moms, our phone's always available. Um, and I am still in the practice of checking my email, even though I'm not working. <laughs> um, so my email is lennongirl1015 at gmail.com, but it's L-E-N-O-N girl1015 at gmail.com. And that's only because the two ends were not available because it is supposed to be for John Lennon. <laughs> So John was a hero. Well, you're you're not even old enough to remember him when he was, uh, you know, a force in music. That that is for sure. So so you must have uh, relied on a lot of old music, and, and of course, most of it. I, am, as you can tell, am well <laughs> old enough to to know John Lennon. So uh, you 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 certainly picked uh, someone to uh, that you admire, uh, who was one of the yeah. all time greats as far as music is concerned. And of course, uh, the leukemia mom would be the great place uh, to um, catch up on, on, on what uh, you're doing advocacy-wise. As we come to the end of this podcast, I want to, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time, for contacting me, uh, which was always great uh, when, when, when people take the time to uh, ask if they um, might be able to come on the podcast. And I'm certainly glad, A, that you... Uh, did and you did such a great job in talking about Tenzin and talking about Paxton, what you've been through, uh, and how you really have not only come out the other side, but you're really flourishing, which is great to see. And I want to wish, first of all, Tenzin the best of health as time goes on. And I want to wish you the best of luck as time goes on. And I, I appreciate the opportunity. And it again, you know, it's another healing experience to me to be able to talk to somebody else and share my information. So I really appreciate your time as well. Well, it was great having you on the show and uh, enjoy your day. Thank you. I think that what Colleen has done in the past 17 months since Tenzin's diagnosis is so impressive. And I believe that it is fair to say that her work and passion for her work in the world of pediatric cancer 
will grow in the coming years. It is good to hear that Tenzin is currently cancer-free and that hopefully he is well on his way to a complete recovery. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Monday, November 27th, when I will speak with Stacy Kreisman, who will talk about her important role that she has with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and what this nonprofit is currently doing in the fight for pediatric blood cancer patients. I want to wish all of you and your families a very happy Thanksgiving and that all of you will enjoy the upcoming holiday.